This week on the Podland Trailcasters. I uh, tried to switch over to GarageBand and it was giving me the spinning rainbow of, de- a rainbow ball of death for a second. Never a good sign. At the top of my notes from, like, s- since we talked last time, since you and I last had a pod, the first notes that I had were like, talk about this next week. Buyout targets. <laughs> That's just how long ago it was. <laughs> Honestly, you have you have more positive receipts than negative, which is why I want to always highlight the negative. You're not paying enough attention. I have a lot of negative receipts. <laughs> um, were you walking down on the waterfront and saw Joe Cronin and he kicked your little chihuahua into the Willamette River and you watch your dog go down and you never saw him again? Is that why you hate Baxter! Joe Cronin? Yeah. Are you trapped in a glass case of emotion? Is that why you hate Joe Cronin? People, you're dumb. Just trust, just, just trust Dame when he says this is what he wants. So, so this is what you've been doing. Like we, we've been having this nice long pod, and you keep getting distracted. You're just having, uh, you're having Twitter wars with trolls over there. That's what's happening on the side. I love Robert Covington. Hey, Q. Oh, what's up, dog? Hold on. Don't want you to get up here and wreck the mic, dude. Every time when we finish the pod. He's, I don't know like what changes in the voice or what, but he somet- he somehow figures out like he's sleeping in the other room on the bed, and as soon as we finish a podcast, he just always comes in, like knows exactly when it when it ends. <laughs> Alright, let's get this loaded and then see if my family still exists. Hello, Rip City! To all of you ladies and gentlemen and everyone in between, whether you're in town or out of town or in any corner of these worldwide interwebs, welcome to the Podland Trailcasters. The voice you're hearing is none other than the not-so-vanilla Hood River Gorilla myself, Keith Feltner-Smith. Thank you for tuning in. Today's episode is the continuation, the part two to our last drop from Saturday. Over the weekend, we put out the love, hugs, and hate mail segment of the pod, and that really took up all the time we had for an episode. More and more, we are having some of these long discussions between Chris and I, where we're kind of maybe leaning more towards making more two-part episodes like this, where midweek, we can have a more direct basketball discussion about things going on with the team, and leaving the love, hugs, hate mail, and all the hijinks and goofy stuff for the weekend episode. This obviously is going to go back and forth a lot, especially with the off-season coming up. But if you have thoughts about what you like more, whether you like the smaller digestible bites twice a week, or if you want the megapods like we've done in the past, email us at trailcasters at gmail.com. Tweet at us at trailcasters, or the easiest access to reach us would be joining the Trailcasters Discord. We've got episodes of this pod. We've got a whole bunch of other podcasters. We've got other content creators, local artists. We've got game access for the third bench ticket group. Lots of great fun. Game night chats. All sorts of random stuff going on in there. If you haven't joined us yet, you are missing out. So click the link in the episode description. Come and join the Discord today. For now, here is the rest of last week's banter with myself and Burkhart. We covered the Blazers being in this weird purgatory again. What's to blame for the losses that we've been seeing way too many of recently or not enough of, depending on which side you are on some of these other issues. Will Dame chase down some more accolades before the season ends? We talked about an update on Justice Winslow that finally came through from our guy, Sean Hyken. We also discussed why Coach Billups is getting the benefit of the doubt from all the players just as fans seem to be calling for his head. We went over the... 
Q&A from the front office that they put together for the season ticket holders the other week. We also got a little Q&A going ourselves at the end of the episode. Lots more, lots to get through in general, so let's get into it. All right, let's dive into some Blazers basketball. We got some things to catch up on. So we're gonna rapid fire through some of this at first because not only is there a lot of it, but it's just not that much fun to talk about. The Blazers are in kind of a weird spot, Chris. You and I were just joking off, uh, off air that after our last pod, one of the first things I had in my notes for talk about this next time was uh, buyout targets for the Blazers. And that was seems like quite a long time ago that that was at the, uh, the top of the priority list for what the Blazers should be doing. At this point, it's just trying to figure out, are they failing to tank or are they failing to compete for the play-in? It's, it's a whole lot of mixed signals because we still have Dame playing and major minutes, but Jeremy Grant mostly really isn't. We have Anthony Simons back again. Nurk is back kinda and we've also heard that justice winslow uh is going to stay out uh we'll get into more of that in a second but we're, we're playing young pieces but we're not playing all of the young pieces consistently who really need those consistent minutes the most uh it's 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 all adding up to a lot of really weird losses. We had an awful six-game road trip. You and I had mentioned how we really had to try and at least go three and three on that trip. We ended up going two and four, but honestly, it almost feels like thankful that we went two and four and not worse. We've also been 0-3 since the road trip. Since we got home, we've uh, faced the Knicks, the Celtics, and the Clippers. We led by 16 against New York before losing by guess how many points? 16 continuing the streak where the blazers lead the nba in giving up double digit leads it's got to be up to 18 or so games now quick update on this we won a game against the jazz and that actually was fairly significant because it breaks up the losses in a way that will prevent the blazers from setting a new franchise record for longest losing streak in their history unfortunately we have also then lost the next three games to chicago oklahoma city and new orleans including a game against the thunder where we led by as much as 12 trailed by as much as eight and lost by six adding to our league worst record this season of losing double digit leads and there was a really interesting twist on that stat when i heard it come out uh sometime last week where if the blazers had only given up half as many of their double digit leads that turned into losses if we'd only given up half as many of those we could arguably be up as good as like fourth in the west so it's it's not only that we have a bad record is that we are losing games that we should be winning that games that we put ourselves in position to win we are losing them and often losing them bad all of this to add up and basically say are we settling in for no postseason are we kind of at the are we are we kind of resolved to this point to say that there's three weeks left on the season and uh then it's all about preparing for the summer no 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 the season's over and the new <laughs> season's just starting we there we, we go the 11 we have started the 11 game tankathon uh <laughs> where now the the purpose of the next 11 games is to uh lose as many of them as possible and let's just be completely frank here the blazers are are executing the, the tank job to absolute perfection right now because they are playing just well enough for you to get excited for you know two and a half three quarters but just poor enough to walk home with the l which is exactly <laughs> what they need right now I, i'm never gonna root but, for my team to lose games i, I get the tanking no thing, no no but yeah but i've all i've also said that if there's something i have in common with damian lillard it said i'm a competitor yeah i don't like the loot yeah and i always want a chance at winning so if i were wearing a blazer uniform and i were on that payroll and i were a player there's no amount of convincing that would convince me that my team doesn't have a chance to win and that my team should should mail it in. So I get where Damian Lillard's coming from. Right. 
Now, from the other side of that though, logically at this point, you can see, and you know Dame know, that this team, it's not a team that you have faith to go win a seven game series against anybody, right? They're just not a playoff team. And so at this point, it's like mail it in because the race is tight and you want to have the best impact on that potential pick that you can. So right now, as it stands, as of this recording, Portland is in sixth place in that race. Sixth worst record in the NBA. They've lost six straight. They have a 9% chance of getting them one overall pick, a 37.2% chance of cracking the top four. They have a game, uh, two and a half games back from Orlando, who has a 10.5% chance of getting them one overall pick. And those things could happen. Keep in mind that last year, teams jumped up into that top four. That's why Portland, who entered the night having the sixth best chance, ended up with the seventh pick, right? Because someone jumped them. And the thing is, in that top three, there's players, not just Victor Wembenyama, right? Like Victor Wembenyama is the consensus number one, but you also have uh, Scoot Henderson, who by many accounts is kind of the consensus number two. Um, now he is a undersized point guard. Portland does not need him, but <laughs> there are a lot of, there's a lot of teams that would have interest in that player. So now that number two pick has a lot of trade value if you were able to crack that. And say you get into number three and he's still available. I know there is a, a dark cloud around him with different legal stuff at the moment, but Brandon <laughs> Miller out of a Alabama, is, is he's, he's a ball player. The point is there's players that are available. I believe it's uh, the Thompson twins, like Jarris Walker. Uh, I know that BMAC would be mad because there's a, a rule that you can only have one Walker on a team, and Jabari <laughs> would be, especially one, you can't have two J, J Walkers on the team. That's just going to get you a lot of tickets from some stuck-up cop. There's players in this draft that can make a, make a difference, not only for Portland, but for other teams, which makes getting into that top six, where Portland stands right now, uh, hugely valuable. Uh, in the market, Keith. Conversely, I said you have a two and a half games uh, behind Orlando. You're only half a game ahead of Indiana, one game ahead of Washington. So if you win, oh, what, two more games than the Wizards? I don't know what the tiebreaker is off the top of my head, but if you win two more games than the Wizards down the stretch, they jump you. You win one more game than Indiana, they jump you. And now you go from sixth to eighth, and things drastically change percentage wise. So mm. it, it, you have reached the point in the season if you are the Blazers lose 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 it's beneficial uh, keep dame out there try to win try to win a scoring title or something but lose 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 okay I, yeah let's come back to dame and the scoring title in a second but it just it's it's i i hear what you're saying i entirely hear what you're saying it's just so weird as a fan man it, it's just so hard to to, to to root for losses and I'm, it is hard to find the positives with with some of this stuff and I'm I'm glad you're talking about the picks for the draft as far as the value they could have as a trade asset this is something we went through last summer too I was adamant going into the last draft that okay fine if we're gonna get some nice player he has to be looked at as an asset I don't want to talk about him being here long term because he's probably not gonna fit Dame's timeline fast forwards now where we've got Shaden Sharp he's been an amazing player I love watching him and it's maybe feasible that you could have him to a level where he could be a benefit on a on a team built around Dame trying to be competitive do you think that still applies to a guy that could be drafted in this upcoming draft or is this very predominantly about a trade asset do you see it still open to either path or is this very much more about being a trade asset than a player who fits the Blazers as a as a No you piece? you never pick one or the other Ever. You got to keep it open. Ever. You keep it open. Do you think that Portland went into last year's draft wholeheartedly going shade and sharp and nothing else? Or did they have a did they have a draft board of guys that they wanted if they were available at seven 
versus potential trades that have been coming in for teams who wanted that pick. Your job in that position is to take the best thing available for your team at that point. If there were, if if 100%, if there were a trade coming into the front office that benefited the Blazers more than Shaden Sharp in that moment, they would have taken because mm. that's what a good GM does. That's why they're straight. So you get into, if you, if you get the number one overall pick, Wembenyama is the clear cut pick, but if Team X comes and says, okay, I'm going to offer you Joel Embiid for that number one pick, you stop and you think, okay, which one's better for me? The seven footer who could be the greatest thing that ever happened, but hasn't stepped the foot on uh, on the floor yet, <laughs> exactly. or Joel Embiid, who we know is an MVP candidate and would be crazily good next to Dame. They are building around Dame until he is not wearing a blazer jersey. That's what they've said. That's why we have this conversation in the Discord. I had it on court side the other night. They're trying to build this thing out the best they can. And then you got people who continue to shit on Joe Cronin like he's the worst GM <laughs> that's ever happened before. Uh, apparently, some of these guys must have an uncle named Neil or something. It's like, what has Joe Cronin done that has objectively been awful? That has made you say he's the worst GM ever? He was in charge and drafted Shaden Sharp, who all of you seem to love. Got, he got Jabari Walker in the second round, who's a very good potential for uh, being a good defender in this league. What he turns into, you never know, but it's a, it's a low-risk pick. doesn't hurt a thing. He moves off of CJ McCollum, which was one of the biggest things that your former GM was uh, afraid to do. And then you all sit here and you complain that he didn't get enough for him sorry guys the year the, the summer of 2022 much different than the summer of 2019 when he might have been at his peak for trade value don't blame cronin that he didn't get enough blame the previous gm for not selling on a guy when he was at his peak of asset acquisition i know people like to live in their rip city bubble and don't watch a ton of basketball outside of it sometimes cj mccollum is the third best player on the new orleans pelicans <laughs> he is the third best player on the new orleans pelicans and you guys are upset for the haul that they got for him, where they got Josh Hart. They turned that into some tangible assets. They got a pick that turned into Jeremy Grant, who is the best power forward that you've had since LaMarcus Aldridge walked out of town. It's not like you traded CJ McCollum for nothing. And again, he's the third best player on the New Orleans Pelicans. Yeah, they traded Robert Covington. I get that one. Norman Powell, to, to be fair, has looked wonderful for the Clippers. But Norman Powell is not their starting small forward every single night. Norman Powell is being used better for his skill set, just like Josh Hart has looked different in New York than he looked in Portland because he's being used properly. And it's not that the coaching here in Portland can't use those guys properly. It's just that the roster construction was objectively awful and they were forced to put these guys into positions that they weren't natural at. Robert Covington didn't look great in Portland because Robert Covington was starting at power forward and there's no world that Robert Covington <laughs> is a starting power forward in the NBA anymore. Uh, case in point, he started, you can count the amount of games he started in LA on one freaking hand, guys. He's a rotation player now at best. And again, this is coming from a guy who freaking stands over Robert Covington. I love Robert Covington. <laughs> I'm also just smart enough to understand what my favorite player is. But by all accounts, when it happened, Keith, that was a Jody Allen demand. It was a Jody Allen trade. Okay, not a Joe Cronin one. Loyal employee was told by boss to do something. <laughs> employee listened to boss like good employees should. The only other objectively bad decision he made was Gary Payton. It was good for what Portland needed. Portland needed a defensive first guy, so they went out and got one, albeit an undersized guard to go do it, and perhaps a little bit of an overpay. 
you know for a fact Neil Olshay would have told you, oh, no, Gary's still the guy, or uh, we just got to get him in there and get him acclimated and blah, blah. And he would have milked that cow to the cow was dry trying to prove <laughs> to you that his offseason signing was correct, right? Yep. Joe Cronin smartly realized that it wasn't working out and cut bait. And even if you didn't get a ton in return on that, you cut bait with the thing that wasn't working out rather than latching on and just letting it leach you dry. That's a smart GM move. If I'm grading this uh, unbiasedly, like it's like a B minus. It's yeah. not great. It's not awful. Middle of the middle of the road. It's a passing grade. Would you consider Dame a lock for first team NBA this year? Uh, I absolutely, I absolutely lock, think he should be. Right? Yeah. He, he, who's 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 been a better point guard than Damian Lillard all year long? If we're talking the end, you know, not Blazer fans, but the NBA brand, people are gonna be voting for Jaw. I don't. I mean, you're gonna put Luca in there. Yeah, Luca's a tough one because he's not really a point guard. He's he's a, he's right. a Giannis Antetokounmpo unicorn too, which I hate. It's so tough to put a guy that talented into a position. But but even like like um, Giannis and LeBron, like take, they okay, they this, play the position, but they're take, bigger that much more. Like like Luca is right on that border. I don't know. Like you said though, I don't know if there's many other point guards that I think are even in the conversation. Uh, I think I I I, I Damian Lillard's been the best point guard in the league yeah, this year. Yeah. Um, so lock on uh, first. Luca, Luca, Luca. If you're put, throwing him in there, is in that conversation. I think I think Damian Lillard's been better than Jaw. Um, Jaw's oh boy, he is on his heels though. Jaw's he's having so some damn good. He, he's having some he's PR so, issues right now though too. So that yeah, might... he's having some PR issues, but PR issues uh, don't win or lose first team All NBA selections. That's I mean, true. I just know from watching the NBA this year. I mean, I, I Damian Lillard, I think, has been one of the five best players in the league. I'm absolutely. If the if the Blazers were winning, if the Blazers were winning, he's in the conversation with Giannis, Jokic, and Embiid for an MVP. If the Blazers are winning, the only thing hampering him and keeping him out of an MVP race right now, Keith, is the fact that his team is not winning. Right. He he he, one hundred percent deserves first team All NBA. This season has been incredible. We touched on Justice Winslow earlier when I was talking about all the crazy things this team has been going through recently. He hasn't played for the Blazers since December 21st. He had, uh, I want to say it was just listed as a sprained ankle at the time when he went out. But word is, according to our guy Sean Hyken, after the All-Star break, Justice Winslow went and got a second opinion about his ankle. He has now gone through a bone marrow aspirate concentrate procedure. That is a long way of saying they go in and remove some bone marrow to then inject into the damaged area in an attempt to try and heal the injury from within, essentially. This is a, a procedure that Festus Azili had done, former Blazers legend Festus Azili, as well as Dwight Howard. Uh, both had this during their career. Obviously, some drastically different results there. Festus Azili had this done when he was in Portland and never played in the NBA again. Dwight Howard played seven seasons after having this done, where before Dwight's procedure, he averaged 18 points, 13 rebounds. He came back and averaged 11 and 10 over the final seven seasons of his NBA career. Now he's playing overseas. So not the same production, but still able to produce. I don't know. We don't really have any insight as far as where Justice is going to fall on that scale of never playing again versus playing restricted. What do you think this means for his role as a Blazer, though? Do you think we see him back in a Blazer uniform, or does the reduced impact maybe kind of uh, move him down the list for us? No, I think it's going to be actually quite interesting. I, I think he hit on something here in the, in the time he was playing healthily. 
Um, and the fact that I think he, he found a rotation spot for himself, he found a spot where he was comfortable. He found a spot where he was looking like he was playing some of the better basketball of his career. Uh, Justice Winslow has been meh uh, for, for his career. So I don't know how much interest there's going to be in him. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, he gives a lot of size. He's shown that he's played plays good defensively. So I think there's there's going to be teams who want him. So it's all going to become come down to what uh, the Blazers can afford and what other teams can afford. What was easy was at like over four mil this year. It's pro- he's probably in that four to eight range, just knowing how teams like to spend their money. Is that something Portland wants to look into? Can they get better? I think... Uh, I think he's good. I don't know if he is truly the piece that they 100% need. I think he probably hits the market and moves on myself. I think they found some things that they like with Cam Reddish. I think the restricted free agency status of him and Matisse Thibel makes those two guys guys that they're going to want to look into keep because of the flexibility it gives them in retaining them. The roster control. Um, that, yeah, so, yeah. yeah so, so it might be done. And then you talk about you know, Dwight Howard having similar procedure and then coming back and and still putting up numbers, but he wasn't the same old Dwight Howard. And the thing no. is, Justice Winslow's peak was nowhere near no Dwight the Howard. peak <laughs> of Dwight Howard. Like, bad Dwight Howard is still good NBA center, right? Yeah, 11 and 10 uh, good, over the last seven good, years. That's the procedure. So. Yeah, good good Justice Winslow uh, is still fringe rotational player, depending on what team he's on. Right. So um, I don't know what the future is. I think there's an NBA future for him, absolutely. Uh, I think he's proven that. Um I, I, I just think, I, and honestly, I don't think he's going vet min type deal. Like uh, I think that four eight range is perfectly fine for a guy of his his skill set. Um, and I just don't know if that's where Portland wants to throw their money right now when yeah. they have they have Jeremy Grant that they're going to have to lock up. They have Matisse Thybul who they want to lock up. Um, and I definitely like I said the restricted free agency status of Cam Reddish is huge. And I think Cam Reddish has proven uh, to be more than valuable mm-hmm. uh, as a rotation player yeah. for this team. Uh, definitely do not want him to be my starting small forward. Right. Ooh, thank you. But I don't want Justice uh, to be rotation- that either. Yeah, no, no, you, no. But as a rotational guy, um, they both work. I, I think it's a really good question, Keith, because I think that I, I think that I think that Justice has proven that he can play well within this roster. But I think he's uh, I think he's proven it to a couple of other teams that might be looking for that specific guy too. Like I think maybe a playoff team might be looking at a, at, a, at a guy uh, like Winslow. And Portland's on a playoff team right now. Right. Hopefully they are by October because they did right. the right things over the summer. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I wish I had a clearer answer. I, but I, it's a really good question. That I just don't think has a true answer to it right now. He, he hasn't had a long time in Portland. I think fans have kind of connected to Justice a little bit, but he hasn't really had uh, the length or I guess even the minutes on the court to really kind of I think really endear himself with with Blazers hearts uh, to to the same level that you often see kind of some of the Blazers legends players. But that being said, man, I I feel like he'd be missed around here. I like the idea, like you're saying, if we could get something for him, if other teams still see value in in him and that makes more sense to us as far as efficiency with our cap space uh, than trying to bring him back here, so be it. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. To me, though, it, it again, it, it's it's early in as far as his injury goes to really see how it plays out for him, and there is a wide range of how it could play. And this is not this is certainly a serious uh, procedure, I guess, that is getting done. It's not done to a whole lot of players, but it it echoes to me in a way what we went through with Wesley Matthews. Like obviously, he was I think a much more beloved Blazer when he went down. 
the Achilles injury is legendary among athletes in general and basketball players in particular as far as being a thing that could be a career ender often. It has been less so recently and it wasn't for Wes, but I feel like at the time that was definitely a thought in uh, something that played into whether or not his future was going to be with the Blazers and he, it ended up not being. He's still continuing to play well. He went to Dallas. Now he's over in Milwaukee. He's doing just fine with it. Uh, that, and that's a great example, honestly, Keith, because because it could have ended his career but instead he he's kept going well it could have it it soured the front office on him there was some other stuff there was some other stuff going on behind the scenes too that 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 wasn't working in his favor but the thing is they they didn't even talk to him in free agency if i if i uh, recall correctly there was no interest from the blazers they thought he was damaged good yeah he He said that publicly too he was pissed yeah, he went on to Dallas, and he looked like Wesley Matthews. Right, he looked good. Like, he looked like Wesley Matthews. Like and a Wesley yeah, that we could have used here at the time. Right, like, the point production was down, uh, but he was still a good defender. He lost a little bit of speed, but he still found him. I mean, the fact that the fact that he's 36 years old, still finding rotation minutes, still playing a role of some sort. On a good uh, team. Test- yeah, is a testament to that guy. Yeah, uh, for sure. Absolutely. So you shouldn't, you shouldn't always let uh, an injury um, sour you. Uh, on where a player goes or what you want to do with them. And like you said, especially like the Achilles, as bad as that is, uh, there, there's they're starting to get a little more history of players who are bouncing back from that injury and being just fine. Just, just modern Durant's medicine, still a walking you know? bucket, uh, just, right? Just, yeah, just modern, mo- technology. modern medicine uh, is nuts. Now, some but some people's bodies just don't react also uh, the same, even though their body gets healed. I mean, DeMarcus Cousins, it went what it was the the ACL and the quad and a couple of other injuries and he's never been the same and right. people forget that at the time in Sacramento he was he was the most dominant center in the game yeah so you just never know what what how the player is going to react but I don't think that having an injury going into off season uh, should automatically uh, keep you out of wanting to sign that guy that's why I still think Justice Winslow is probably a four to eight million dollar player. Fingers crossed for him. I hope it works out for justice. And I hope, however it works out for justice, that it works out in a way that benefits the Blazers. It'd be nice to see him here if he could continue to play. Or it'd be nice to have another useful asset in a summer where it's going to be all about using our assets in an efficient and effective way. So, see how that goes. Beyond justice, we did have some quotes and some uh, some indirect quotes and some news from some of the other players that kind of uh, maybe shook things up a little bit, Chris, from what we've been talking about. For the last several weeks, watching these losses that the Blazers have been uh, suffering through or aiming for, as you're pointing out, with the, the, the stealth tank going on and all that, the conversation has been about Billups. Blazers, in a time when we have been saying that we are aiming to build a competitive team around Dame, one of the last remnants of the Neil Olshay era has been that we got saddled with a head coach with zero head coaching experience. A former player who came in saying that he was ready to change the defensive mindset here in Portland, change things around, uh, get us out of the basement in the league. And we haven't really seen much of that at all. There's been a lot of dialogue about the coaching experience, the lack of defense, lack of adjustments in game, weird minutes rotations for some of our our younger players that, like we mentioned earlier, should be getting more minutes just for the the development side of things. And then... In this gap between our, our last pod and now, there, were, there was an article that came out on The Athletic uh, with quotes from Dame, with quotes from Penny Simons, and with quotes from Jeremy Grant in particular, all backing Chauncey Billups as head coach, saying that essentially that they're ready to run through a wall for him. Uh, so I just want to ask you, is, 
what is the disconnect here? What are we not seeing that the players are seeing? Is is he getting some kind of benefit of the doubt from the players because he too is a former player? Would like a would some other young head coach be looked at the same way if he wasn't someone from within the league? How does this change your perspective on on what our dialogue has been about uh, Coach Billups this year? Uh, I think I think you hit the nail on the head with him being a former player. I I mean if you didn't have to walk into a room and earn the respect of all your coworkers because you already had it from day one, I'm right. You're, you're already winning. So that's what he was doing. Cause a lot of these players respected uh, coach Billups as a player. I, I don't think that a play, uh, a coach who didn't have this experience would have this long of a leash. Um, if the Blazers hired Becky Hammond instead of coach Billups, and she had the exact same two seasons that he just had, She's probably out the door. I completely and there's agree. Probably no, and there's probably no player saying they would run through a wall for her because, unfortunately, I mean, she didn't have, she doesn't have that respect factor from everyone that Billups does walk into that door. Um, you know, same thing with the, like even Terry Stotts. I think Terry Stotts had to earn his respect early on in his career and the fact that he got it from Dame quickly and Dame oh, yeah. quickly became the lead of that locker room benefited him. Difference maker. So, yeah. yeah so, so I think that respect factor. Um, definitely plays a role. I think what, what what people are mixing up here is running through a wall for a coach doesn't mean your coach is good. It just means, again, that, that, <laughs> yeah. that you respect your coach. Not only do we have quotes from current Blazers, but even former Blazer Josh Hart speaks up from across the country and, and weighed in on this, saying, yeah, I, I too am, am in for Billups coaching. Okay, so fine. Maybe that's it. Maybe Chauncey will get better and just needs time. But that's the other question here, like I mentioned earlier. The stated goal of this franchise is, albeit patiently, to build a, t- a competitive team around Dame. That's got to include the coach. Do we have time for him to get better if we're trying to be good with Dame in the next few years? I mean, again, like this isn't a team that's ready to compete now, so maybe that gives us time. Do you think Chauncey can morph into a, maybe not championship caliber coach, because that is hard to prove until you get there but can Chauncey morph into a uh, top tier coach or arguably a top tier coach in the next two to three years it's gonna be tough yeah I think so I think it's gonna be tough let's let's do let's do this real quick okay I want to do the rundown I want to I've been, done this with Chad I'm gonna do it with you okay hit me I'm gonna I'm just gonna go down the list of the NBA head coaches and I want you to give me your honest opinion if Chauncey Billups better than them or worse than them <laughs> oh, or a wash <laughs> wash counts. Okay. Okay. A wash can be a thing. All right. So we're going to start right at the top. Joe Missoula is Joe Missoula better, worse, or a wash than Chauncey. Billups? I, I think you got to give the edge to Missoula a little bit there. No, but there, there's no, I, there's no thinking. <laughs> oh he, no. Is that, there's no coach. thinking. It's sarcasm for sure. Jacques Vaughn. Yeah, edge to Jock. I was gonna say, yeah. I think Jock Vaughn should. Jock Vaughn is actually, I think, I think he's a pretty good head coach. Just hasn't had a lot of op. You remember, gotta remember, he's down in Orlando for a while. He's he has tenure. Yeah, right. He has more uh, experience, and experience is certainly a, a, a large factor in my mind when it comes to right. Uh, okay, so uh, Tom Thibodeau. Thibodeau is a proven coach. We know what he's done with teams. He is absolutely a better coach than Billups. Right, Doc Rivers. Same thing. Doc Rivers may have his warts. He may have some uh, accolades you wouldn't want as a coach, but he is unquestionably yeah. a better coach. Just we're talking. Yeah, we're not talking about any of that. It's just a better coach. Nick Nurse, better coach. All right. So the entire Atlantic Division better <laughs> than Chauncey Billups. Moving on to the Central, Billy Donovan. Oh, God. 
This is going to take a minute. Uh, Billy Donovan. He, I, the only reason I'm even pausing here is because I'm looking for like, which one of these guys could I say that maybe Chance is a wash with? But no, I would, no, I would tr say. Trust me, wash is available because there, there will be some. JB Bickerstaff, Cleveland Cavaliers coach. Better coach. Okay. With what he's done with Cleveland, absolutely a better coach. Like the results are there. Dwayne Casey. Detroit sucks, but he's a former coach of the year. He, yeah, I was going to say coach of the year, Dwayne Casey. I, I'm putting as a yeah. better coach. Rick Carlisle. Rick Carlisle has accolades, and yeah, he he is a uh, he is a better coach. Mike Budenholzer of the Milwaukee Bucks. Oh my God, I would have loved to have Budenholzer as a Blazer coach, please. <laughs> that would be so, so much better. Okay, well, the entire Central Division <laughs> oh beats God. Chauncey Billups. This All right, now hurtful. going on to the Southeast. This is going to take time, <laughs> but trust me, it's worth it. In the Southeast, new Atlanta uh, Hawks coach Quinn Snyder. Quinn Snyder is a better coach. I love what he did in Utah. Uh, despite what we've we've called him the the yep. like the villain of head coaches, he is a, a oh yeah, he looks like a hockey villain. Steve Clifford again, like he's he's just so much of this for me is like I I have things that I can think back on and look back yeah, on as far as expertise. That's, that's, he has that's experience. Yeah. He's a better coach. Okay, Eric Spolstra. Eric Spolstra is, is unquestionably a better coach. Okay, See, now we're gonna start getting into some names. Uh, Jamal Mosley. See, okay, here's we here's a guy that I don't know much about. I cannot say that I have ever particularly like, oh man, okay, look at what Mosley did. I'll, 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 I will optimistically say that could be a wash. Okay, we'll give that one a W for you. Uh, Wes Unseld Jr., Washington Wizards. Wizards are not looking great. Wizards are not a happy team. I, uh, optimistically, don't be one, optimistically, don't be I'm gonna say Just it's a wash. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go wash. It's close enough that I want to think it's a wash. Okay, and remember, you can say the bill better too. Uh, okay, <laughs> I could. So, uh, I could. We still, so far, of fifteen coaches, have not one that you said Billups is objectively <laughs> better than. Okay, in our own division, let's start in Denver. Michael Malone. I really should have tried to find someone who that Billups is better than in the East because this is only going to get tougher. Yeah, Malone is a better coach. Chris Finch, Minnesota Timberwolves. Oh, here we go. Okay, Timberwolves are. I mean, they, they've they've got talent. I could I could maybe think that their talent is helping them out there, and it's not the coaching that's doing a lot for them in Minnesota because they've had some missteps. Uh, you got to pick one. You got to pick a lane, my friend. <laughs> I don't know pick enough a lane about. And trust it. I don't know enough about Finch's coaching to. So I'm gonna say, uh, how much experience does Mike Finch have? Is he someone who's been around for a minute, or is he fairly? Yeah, no, not really. But off the top of my head, but just just say, it. come on. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Billups could be a better coach than Mike Finch. Let's do it. Let's get okay, let's get a better so on the board. All right, there we go. Total uh, shot in the dark. Mark, Mark Dagnall, Oklahoma City Thunder. I I cannot take I cannot put that all in the Thunder. That's got to be some of the coaching. I I would probably say that Dagnall's a better coach than Billups. Yeah, you can't put you can't you can't really say <laughs> Billups, but he's owned Billups. Yeah, Will Hardy, Utah Jazz. So the replacement for Snyder with the Jazz, they've been going. I mean, they're 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 holding more steady than the Blazers even after the coaching change <laughs> mid season. Man, he, yeah, it's, it's yeah. a wash at best. He, Billups is not okay. better. Okay, we'll give you. I'll give you the wash. <laughs> All right, we're almost done here. Uh, but this one, I'm not even going to ask the next two because the next two on the list are uh, Steve Kerr and Ty Lue. So those are not debatable. <laughs> no, um, not. Darvin Ham, Los Angeles Lake. Ooh, that that is a tough one because I, I definitely don't want to say anything positive about the Lakers. They've had a lot of issues. They they got a better roster and their team hasn't played better. Let's give, let's give one to Billups. Point for Billups on okay. that. Let's uh, okay. put Billups over him. I'm not saying I'm not saying you're right or wrong. I'm just asking I, your I, opinion. I don't think I'm right. Monty, but I'm going to take it. Monty Williams. Monty Williams is a better coach than, than Chauncey Billups. Mike Brown. 
Mike Brown <laughs> is still probably a better coach than Chauncey Billups, yeah. Probably. They're one of the best teams <laughs> in the league right now. He's got him in the playoffs for the first time in two decades. Two de yeah. <laughs> All right. We're, okay, now, now we're into the, uh, the Southwest Division. I'm going to take two of these coaches off the board for you just to make it easier for you because they are way better uh, than Chauncey Billups because two coaches in this division are uh, Taylor Jenkins and Greg Popovich yeah. way better than, than okay yeah, but now we're going to give you some names where maybe you can get some uh you can get some some wins for Chauncey or at least a wash uh we'll start with uh the guy who he's competing for for a job in Damian Lillard's mind Jason Kidd oh <laughs> uh I am not a fan of Jason Kidd but dialogue is that he has actually gotten to be a better coach over the years so I'm probably saying that he takes the edge over Billups See, that's where I think you could debate Billups just because Jason Kidd has Luka Doncic, who... That's, that's a fair point, with, too. And the team struck. And I, I don't no, think he deserves a lot of the respect. He doesn't deserve yeah. a lot of the credit, but I think... I think there's, I've heard enough things where people have said he's gotten better at coaching that I got to give okay. him credit over a dude who's not shown any improvement yet. True. Well, you already picked your lane. So, All right, Houston <laughs> Rockets, Stephen Silas. There we go. I knew. I looked ahead on the chart on the, on the West, and I knew there was one more uh, point that I could give for Billups. I am going to say that Billups is a better coach than Stephen Silas. All right, last coach, New Orleans Pelicans, Willie Green. Willie Green is a better coach than Chauncey Billups. All right, that is a wrap on the who is a better coach than Chauncey Billups. Boy, suddenly the, Blazers, suddenly the Blazers' season record looks a lot more positive. <laughs> yeah, and so if you go by coaching alone and you think coaching stands, coaching matters. Okay? Coaching matters. According to... The official Trailcasters report by one Keith Peltner-Smith of the 29 other coaches in the NBA. 23 <laughs> of them are better than Chauncey Billups. Three of them are undecided and clarified as washes. And there are only three coaches in the NBA that you can say Chauncey Billups is better than might even only be two because one of those I get just gave Billups the benefit of the doubt because I hadn't seen the other dude. But man, that is depressing, bro. <laughs> that so is where the Blazers are at. And the thing is, you would have done that exact list at the beginning of the season. Now, here's the thing someone has to be the worst oh, coach. Oh my God. The yeah, yeah. Someone has to be the worst coach, right? Uh, but sometimes even the worst coach, depending on the year, sometimes the worst coach in the league isn't even a bad coach. It's just the, the way that you, like, like Steve Clifford is one that you, you kind of yeah, paused yeah. on a, a, a weird year for the Hornets, but, but right. overall, like, I, I don't think a lot of people would consider Steve Clifford a, like a bad basketball coach. Right. right. But the thing is, if you would have done this thing at the beginning of the year, you probably would have came out to a similar result. Right, that that Chauncey Billup of the of the thirty coaches in the NBA, he's probably you know the the twenty fifth, twenty fourth best. Okay, but you would hope that over the span of seventy games, you would have seen enough improvement for you to start saying some of those washes. Right, you know, oh no, he's definitely better than this guy. He's better than that guy. Oh yeah, you know, I might put him above Steve Clifford. All right, and now you know now Chauncey is at nineteen or twenty, and you feel a little bit because you saw the progression in his coaching and you saw him make improvements and that's where I, I i get stuck on chauncey keith is because yes the players will say they'll run through a wall for him yes they say that that, that you know he, he might be a good head coach but i have not seen the tangible improvement from exactly. some of these players exactly. now people argue with that take and go yeah but at the same time chris like he's playing games where he has to go play drew eubanks out there and he has to go play trendon wofford and he's playing cam reddish and he's like trendon wofford has had so many minutes put on his plate, yet he has not 
dramatically improved his right. overall skill set. Like, yes. he's really kind of reached his ceiling, but you haven't seen him turn around. Nasir Little has had a ton of chances as well. And he is, like, Nasir Little, like, think about this way. Nasir Little and, and Shaden Sharp are missing out on minutes. And Nasir Little was here all last year because they aren't playing good defense, which is a weird thing to say when your entire team is playing bad defense. But you have not found a way to instill defensive philosophies and make these right. guys improve defensively when you are you were supposed to be a defensive guru. Now, we brought that question up with Justin Myers on the morning show a couple weeks ago when I was producing, and he brought up a good point. And he said, what is it about Chauncey Billups's career that makes him a defensive coach? Oh, he, played, of the he fact played on a defensive he team. In, like that, that's, he I think played on a defensive to. team. Yeah. And in the, pre, uh, the, the press conference... He said they're going to focus on defense. Right, right. It was That's a stated what goal. Every single coach says. Yeah, oh, of course. But what about him has proven that he's a de- and and then the thing was like on that team. Yes, he played on a defensive team. That team also had defensive player of the year in Ben right. Wallace. It also had a young Tayshawn Prince who was the best two-way wing at the time for a young like the dude was phenomenal. Yeah, totally. Like, he had defensive dudes around him. It wasn't just Chauncey. So it's like again, what he hasn't done anything. This we just anointed him as this defensive coach. It's okay to maybe say we were all wrong. Look, if there was anything positive, though, if you know, getting out of the rut here a little bit, if there's anything positive from the quotes that we heard in the Athletic about players backing Billups, there was some really nice words being said from Jeremy as far as Portland. You and I have been on this train already. We've been talking about how we are not concerned with Jeremy Grant's future as a Portland Trailblazer, but. He certainly has reinforced it. He's said some things where he's like he's talked about Portland being a good place, how he likes it here. I mean, and he, I think, was the one that that run through the wall quote came from regarding mm-hmm. Chauncey. So, if there's nothing else positive to take from from this recent uh, news from the players, it would be that Jeremy Grant is happy, and neither he nor the team seem to be entertaining the idea that he's going to be moving on this summer. Yeah, and I and I I do think that is a testament to one thing: Chauncey is doing good. Okay. Uh, if, if Josh Hart's vouching for him all the way from New York, if Jeremy right. Grant's vouching for him, you got the fact that even with the Gary Payton stuff that went on, Josh Hart did the press conference. Multiple people came out, defended the organization. I think there right. are lesser coaches who would lose a locker room over two seasons like this. And he hasn't lost. That's a legit he point. Has, he has not point. lost that locker at all. No. At all. Yeah. I you wouldn't have these quotes coming out if he had lost the locker room at all. No. Like it, it, it honestly, the the whole article from the Athletic almost seemed to be direct pushback, just trying to make sure, like, hey, we hear all the fans pissed at Chauncey, and here comes the players saying, "Chill out, take a breath." <laughs> a few weeks back now, the Blazers front office staff sat down with a handful of season ticket holders and listeners. If you need another reminder, here it is: to take part in all these cool Blazers events, you've got to be a season ticket holder. And if you're gonna be a season ticket holder, you should really look at being involved with the third bench. Our fan group up in 317, we have a great time. It's been an awesome inaugural season for us. And if you want to get involved, now is the time because season ticket renewal is coming up. It's just been a great way to ensure that you get to spend every game sitting with a rotating crew of friendly, knowledgeable, passionate fans. And it makes it super easy to either resell tickets when you can't go to a game or to try and pick up an extra ticket last minute to bring a friend along. And part two of my pitch here is that if you want to get involved in the third bench, you really should consider joining the Trailcasters Discord. Not only do we have the third bench in there, we've got other podcasters, content creators, local artists, media members, swag exchanges, game night chats, lots of Blazer-centric fun. The link is in the episode description. You should check that out and come hang out with us. All right, now getting back to this front office Q&A. 
they had, they had let fans submit questions, but it was definitely a scripted thing. You know, they weren't taking any uh, any any fastballs or anything. They was they were definitely in lobs and kind of more the you know the 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 fun answers to kind of engage with. We heard a story from Joe about uh, how they had used some facial recognition equipment in the gym at one point to to track people's shooting, and Damian Lillard made 890 out of 914 three point uh, attempts. We heard from Joe as well that. At the trade deadline, they had aimed for big pieces that didn't get moved. So it kind of gave some insight there as far as maybe who they've been talking about, who they looked at. Probably means that we weren't taking a swing with Mo Bamba. Maybe some of the stuff about OG or Pascal or others we had brought up on here could have been true. We don't really know. OG and John Collins would be the two that come to mind. There you go. I could see that. Joe also referenced that the picks are currency in the NBA, and he wasn't just talking about the first-round picks. He seems to really think that we could have some value in what we got out of the Gary Payton deal. When asked, do we have enough ammo? The answer was basically, we're getting there. So again, there, there isn't this kind of false bravado about, oh yeah, we've got the pieces. We've got exactly the pieces that we need here, like we often have heard in the past from Neil. There were some nice comments about some hope that the WNBA would be coming to Portland in the future. Dwayne mentioned that the NCAA women's final round is going to be in Portland in 2030, so that's kind of a cool thing too. He also shut down some of the hotel restriction rumors, talking actual numbers, how Utah needed 7,500 rooms for the All-Star break, and Portland already has over 10K. Oh, so... whoa, 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 whoa. You're meaning <laughs> what I've been saying for the last five Shocking. years is the truth? The I hotel, <laughs> The hotel argument is the biggest false narrative right. around? Oh, sh I'm shocked, I tell you. Shocked. <laughs> two things here, two things from this, con uh, from this question and answer session that, I, that kind of grabbed me the most. First one, at one point, I don't remember exactly how this was phrased, but Kevin Calabro brought something up. And if you guys listen to Blazers What with Tara and, and Rose, if you don't listen to Blazers What, in fact, you should be. Go and listen to Blazers What. Download the pod with Tara and Rose right after you finish this episode of Trailcasters. But they just talked about this on, on their episode as well because I was talking with Tara about it the other day, kind of comparing notes. I don't remember exactly what the phrasing was for how this came up. But Kevin Calabro hosting this piece with Dwayne and Joe and, and Andre... Basically asked something about who's the most frustrating player. It's Nurk, right? Nurk is the most frustrating player on the Blazers. And it's kind of one of these things where, again, in a scripted Q&A, they're not handling hard balls. They're not asking difficult questions here. It seems like a weird thing to throw in and didn't really seem like some, like, inside joke that Kevin was bringing up. He wasn't, like, kind of setting up some punchline for Joe to hit out of the park. And then Joe just confirms it. He says, yeah, yeah, Nurk is the most frustrating player on the on the team. <laughs> It, it just is a weird comment. Where does this come from? Why do you think that seems maybe a little awkward or inappropriate to bring up in that setting? Like what, where, what does this say to you? No, he's the most frustrating player on the team because he's the most important player to the team without question. Okay. Because okay. Yes. I, yes. I like that yes. Angle. It's Dame. Yes. It's Dame. Don't get me wrong. Dame is Dame. We all know Dame, blah, 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 blah. But the team ebbs and flows with Nurkic more than any other player. Because when Nurk is bad, the team is bad. When Nurk is great, the team looks great, right? So I think that's where that frustration come from. And, I, I, and I'm sure he wouldn't say that on that platform without that being something that they have talked to Yusuf Nurkic about. Uh, I'm sure Billups has talked about that before. Like they, what the team needs out of Yusuf Nurkic is consistency. They need consistency out of Yusuf Nurkic. And that's where he becomes frustrated because you don't know what Nurk you're going to get on a night-to-night -night basis. Drew Eubanks is not nearly as talented as Yusuf Nurkic. 
but he's consistent. But he's consistent. You're getting yeah, the same job. Drew he knows every single is. night. So that's why that's totally. frustrating. You know what Dame you're getting every single night, right? You you know what you're getting from Jeremy Grant on most nights. You know what you're getting from Ant. The list goes on. The one player that is a question mark every single night is Yusuf Nurkic, to your point. We talked about the games that he's been back. He threw up a goose egg in one of them. Like, you can't mm. have your starting center throwing up goose egg, right? And so, and we've seen Bosnian Beast. We've seen Nurk Beaver. We have seen Nurk at his absolute best. And again, when he is at his best, the team looks different because he's he's attacking the rim. He's being, he's being ferocious. He's passing the ball well. He's running sets. He's making everything more fluid. That's why he's the most frustrating because he, again, he he he's the, the Blazers are a boat and he's the ocean, and they just want nice calm waters. <laughs> yet sometimes they're sitting there sailing in the Bering Sea and they don't know what to do. I'm I'm with you on that, man. And look, even the most recent game against the Clippers, Nurk had 23, 11, and five in like 27 minutes. He hit two of three from deep. He's looking good, much more like the old Nurk. Unfortunately, it wasn't enough in in that <laughs> at this point of the season and with this roster that we're playing with to really turn things around. But like you said, when he looks good, the team can just look so much better. The other side of it, though, we've talked about plenty before. Nurk is one of these guys, much like myself, and I think kind of like you as well, to use the, the, the analogy that Tara and Rose use because it fits so well, we're more we are all more motivated by a carrot than a stick. Mm -hmm. Like Nurk is very much one of these guys that he does well with encouragement and support and people underneath him. So it just seems odd that you would have the front office, the management, any time, like leading up to an off season where Nurk is very much, everyone knows Nurk is going to be in discussions or at least on the table for trades. It just seems odd that you'd have these three dudes or four dudes, if you include Kevin Clabro, up there so openly kind of almost undermining him, kind of talking about him openly in a way that isn't really supportive, isn't encouraging. Uh, it, it, I, I just, I don't see how it helps. And it's, it just seemed like an odd thing to get out there. And before the Q&A started, they did say, hey, listen, fans, don't stream this. Don't get your phones out and be launching this out. We don't want it to get out immediately. But they didn't say don't talk about it. They didn't say you can't discuss this. They like I was taking notes in the front row as we're, as we're going through all this stuff. So they had to know. It's not like they thought that this was going to be some hush-hush secret thing, some secret comment that Kevin Clabro and Joe Cronin were going to make and wasn't going to get back to Nurk, right? Like He's going to hear about this, and I just don't see how it helps him. All right, the one other thing from the Q&A that I thought was kind of interesting, some questions at the end about Shaden Sharp. And Joe very quickly said he's playing more than Joe expected him to in his first season. He said he didn't expect Sharp to be a rotation guy so quick, and also mentioned that Dame has been key for that, kind of showing him the right way, showing him the ropes, and, and helping him come along. But Chris, I feel like a lot of the time, you and I, other fans on Discord, come and join the Discord if you haven't already, link in the episode description. A lot of fans around Ripsy in general, have we've been talking about how Shaden needs more minutes, and how, if anything, he looked really good in the beginning of the season, but has almost kind of flattened out, almost kind of leveled out here in the, in the latter half of the season, partly because he's not getting consistent minutes, but maybe partly because he's not getting enough coaching on the side. Who knows? My question then, if Cronin is happy with what he's been getting so far, are we overvaluing Shaden? Is, is he where you expected? Is he above or below? Where, where does he fall for you right now? He is dead center, exactly where I thought. Nice. W without okay. question. We had this debate heading into the season where, you know, a couple of the reporters for the team, like Aaron French, just thought Chad and I were crazy because we we, had, we were talking about how he needed to be playing at least 15 minutes a night. And he was like, oh, that's ludicrous. He's, he's going to be lucky if he plays 10. There's no reason to get him in there. 
Oh, right now he's at 20. He's averaged 20 minutes per night. Right. The player that I compared Shaden Sharp to, how I thought he was going to be used, how I thought he was going to look uh, in his in his rookie year, uh, was Tracy McGrady and uh, how mm. he was used in Toronto. And you guys all know that. If Listen, I said Tracy McGrady multiple times. Uh, I want to point out that uh, thus far this season through 70 games, uh, he's playing Shaden Sharp uh, 20 minutes per game, averaging 7.9 points, 2.5 rebounds, shooting the ball pretty well. He's the uh, 35%er from deep right now. Uh, Tracy McGrady, his rookie year, who was 18 years old, so relatively the same age there as Shaden Sharp, he played 18.4 minutes per game. He averaged seven points. He shot wow. 34% from deep. Uh, he had he wow. had a couple more a couple more <laughs> rebounds as this guy, Shaden Sharp averaged 2.5, uh, and, and McGrady averaged uh, around four. Um, and you know McGrady's assist numbers and stuff were a little bit better. But when you look overall, I mean, he in line statistically, his rookie season Pretty is parallel. the exact same as Tracy McGrady's. So yeah, he is right in line with what I thought. Even a little bit more so minutes wise, because I thought he was going to be a little bit closer to that fifteen minute per game range. So being at twenty is huge. Sure, but yeah, man, I think his production is probably ahead of the curve right now, and that's a very, very good thing. Because going into a first actual off season as a professional athlete, last year doesn't count. You're drafted, and now you're spending your entire year figuring out, you know, your accommodations and getting used to the team, and just finding out what the hell is this city of Portland that I've never been to. And then, you know, you go from draft, you go, you go from draft to Vegas to short break to camp. There's no off season regiment. Right. Now he gets yeah. a full one. So I, I would expect uh, a, a big jump uh, next year, hopefully. Right. Uh, and, you know, Tracy McGrady, it took two years. His second year, he averaged uh, a few more minutes, but he had nine points per game for up from seven, still more impressive. And then the next year, boom. Well, that's going to do it for this week's pod. But just as a reminder, This was part two of last week's episode where we released part one over the weekend, a very long love, hugs, and hate mail. And we also have already recorded our upcoming content for the next week, already editing and working on that as well. So look forward to another nice long love, hugs, and hate mail over the weekend, as well as some more in-depth basketball discussions probably a little earlier in the week next week. We'll see if we can uh, get back on top of scheduling there. In closing, your honorable listeners, that's it. That's our show. Thank you, Chris Burkhart. Thank you, Odar, for these fat beats. And thank you, listeners, all of you, for a great listening. We hope you enjoy your Blazers, your Rip City basketball, and our latest episode. Please come and join the Trailcasters Discord. We need all of you on there for all of the fun. Thank you again, and please come back next week and the week after and the whole offseason for the next edition of the Trailcasters. Sweet. <laughs>